Well, if you've been watching the news, you know that, uh, and you don't even have to watch the news, <laughs> just life itself. Uh, you see a lot of conflict these days, whether it be in politics or even most recently, uh, just the terrible stuff that happened uh, during the NFL game last Thursday night. And just to see the anger and the expression and the conflict that we have in our world. And sometimes it's, it's bigger things like that and bigger stories. But let's be honest, sometimes the conflict can be smaller things that you and I wrestle with in our relationships. Uh, last week, uh, we had some friends over to our house spending the weekend, and we decided that we would call and order some food. And so I offered to go pick up the food. And so I went, picked up the food, it's about a 20-minute drive, picked up the food, brought it back to the house. And as we were unloading it in the kitchen, we realized that there were items, key items, that were missing. And so everybody voted that I was supposed to call. And um, <laughs> so I did. And uh, I, I didn't know what to say. I'm not good in those circumstances because I'm pretty sure they weren't intentional. There wasn't some kid in the back room going, I know how to get him. I'll leave his food out. That wasn't the intention. So while I was talking on the phone and just kind of expressing, hey, we we're kind of disappointed. We didn't get this stuff. And I wanted to go. I don't want to name restaurants. I wanted to go. I want my money back, money back, money back. But I, um, <laughs> some of you will get that later. I, I, uh, I, I apologized several times for my call. And so when I got done, our friends were kind of like questioning me and my family like, why in the world would you apologize when this wasn't your fault to begin with? Like they wanted heads to roll, you know? And I was, I, I struggle with that, you know, um, because I, I don't know about you, if you've ever done those personality assessments, I'm a number two on the Enneagram which means I'm a caregiver. So let me just read to you what a caregiver is based on the Enneagram. Caregivers seek acceptance and love from people. They attend to the needs of those around them. They repress their own negative emotions and they fear being unwanted or disliked. I experienced all of that in a two minute phone call. I felt like the restaurant was unhappy because I called. My family was unhappy because we didn't get our stuff. And then they were unhappy with me because I was apologizing for something. And, and I, it was stressful for me. I don't like being in those situations and entering into that kind of conflict. Um, so big or small, we all have had times in relationships where we're uncomfortable. We just kind of want things to be at peace, to quiet down, to just be, let, it's going to be okay. But oftentimes we confuse being okay with like a false peace. We as followers of Jesus oftentimes do things knowingly. Maybe for some of us, we don't recognize what we're doing. That we are bringing a false peace that doesn't last, that isn't influential, that doesn't change things. Jesus called his church to be peacemakers. Matthew said, or Jesus said in Matthew 5, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. Happy are those who make peace happen because you're more like God. Being a child of God, it, making peace, bringing peace to a situation, that, that's hard. That's a hard thing to do. And when Jesus calls us to be peacemakers, he, he's not wanting us to, to bring this false sense that our world is so used to, he wants us to make a legitimate change 
in our world and in the relationships that we have. There are ways that we bring about a false peace, and I just want to clarify some of them. One is that peace is not pacifying a situation. Now, I have a seven-week-old grandson who we are loving. He was over yesterday, and uh, he got a little fussy, and we knew it was probably getting time to either change his diaper or feed him. He was acting like he was getting a little hungry. So I stuck this thing in his mouth. They, they call it a pastifier. They call it that. It's supposed to just simply satisfy them, but just for the moment, right? It's not meant to make a change because this kid might be seven weeks old, but he quickly understood that this thing that I stuck in his mouth was not going to help him feel less hungry. It's not called a peacemaker. It's not called a problem solver. It's called a pacifier. And he knows the difference. It wasn't until we started to feed him that, uh, that he began to have peace. In our circumstances and situations, oftentimes we think that if we, just, if we just say okay, or if we just let the situation go, that we are bringing peace. But we're not. Because we're not solving the conflict. We're not bringing peace. We're pacifying it. And it doesn't matter what age or what you're going through. We all get this. It could be the teenage girl, right? Who was going to hang out with her friend over the weekend. But at the last minute, her friend decided to hang out with other friends and not her. And so she sits at home. And even though her friend called and said, hey, would it be okay if I just hung out with these other girls this weekend? The response was, yeah, 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 oh, yeah, I got other things going on. Yeah, that'll be fine. Let's be more realistic. No, that will be fine. (laughs) You express that it's okay, but she'll spend the rest of the weekend sulking in her bedroom, being frustrated and lashing out in her other relationships because she's not dealing with this. And the next week, she might not talk to her friend for a few days And everybody will wonder why, because she said it's okay. It's pacifying the situation, but it doesn't really bring peace. Another might be if you're a single young adult or single adult who uh, your friends invite you out for dinner, what, what they fail to tell you is that they invited someone else to dinner that they think you will like. And that you might get along with and uh, you show up and it's a surprise and they're excited and you're not. (laughs) But you go along with it and you laugh and you're cordial and when you get home you think I will never have dinner with them again. (laughs) But you won't be able to say that. You'll just kind of, every time they ask, oh, I'm busy, oh, I'm busy. Never dealing with the actual frustration If you are a parent of children and you have other parents around, you might have experience where this overbearing mother or father wants to speak into your life. They want to tell you how to raise your children and what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to cook and all of those things. It might be something really small like, now when you get home, you give me a call to tell me you're going to be okay and you have no intention of doing that. At most, you've thought this through and said, I'll, I'll text him in a day or two and tell him I forgot. You're already thinking about how you're going to get around this. 
well, I'm not gonna tell them where we're sending our kids to school until after our kids are in school. Then we'll deal with it, right? You, you don't talk about the circumstance. You don't talk about the situation. You don't share your feelings with them because you don't want it to get messy. So you pacify it, but it doesn't solve the situation. And then as spouses, we go through this too, right? You have all these wonderful things you love about your spouse. It's why you married them. But there's one, two, 10 things that bother you about them. (laughs) And you don't want to bring them up because if you do, you know it'll get a little bit tense and you don't want that. So you pacify it by kind of keeping it inside. But every time your spouse does that thing, it irritates you. You get frustrated. And you think that you're getting away by not saying anything, but your spouse notices that you're cold, you're a little distant, and it's not helping the relationship because you don't have the ability to talk about it, to enter into the conflict, to really bring peace and resolve the situation. It's false peace. You're just pacifying it. It's not what God wants. Another false piece is the avoidance of conflict. We think that avoiding conflict brings about peace, but it doesn't. Even for Christ, he did not come to avoid peace. I love what Peter Scazzaro, Pastor uh, Peter Scazzaro, sorry, um, said in his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. He said, conflict and trouble were central to the mission of Jesus. He disrupted the false peace all around him. In the lives of his disciples, the crowds, the religious leaders, the Romans, those buying and selling in the temple, he taught that true peacemaking disrupts false peace even in families. Jesus disrupted things. But when he did, it was intentional to bring about a better situation, to bring about real peace. And so oftentimes it became disruptive. Jesus would enter into conflict in order to bring about true peace, not false. Scriptures tell us that, uh, or Jesus said in Matthew 10, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. You go, wow, what was Jesus getting at here? Because he's called the king of peace, right? What did he mean? There is something about following God and speaking truth into our world that brings conflict. When you speak truth, it stirs things up. When Jesus did it, though, he stirred things up in order to bring about something better. Whether it was to correct injustice, whether it was to clarify what the future held, to bring uh, clarity to expectations, to share what it was that, that God was after in people's lives. Every time he entered in, he was entering into conflict in order to bring true peace. Peace is bringing truth to a relationship in love. You know, when it said uh, sometimes that the conflict that Jesus brings will stir up problems in your own house. I always remember the time my grandfather, uh, he would spend time with us and once a week would take our family out to eat. They lived in the area where we had planted a church. 
And uh, there were times when he would take the kids and he would drive them. But my grandfather was getting a little bit older and we kept, the kids kept coming home and would tell us stories. They got a little bit better and better of, we almost got hit by a train tonight. We almost got hit by a car and grandpa read a, ran a red light. And so we were like, okay, we got to stop this. So my wife and I talked about it and uh, we voted and I had to talk to him because <laughs> that's how things work. So I had to tell my grandfather that um, we just didn't feel comfortable him driving the kids around anymore. And man, was that hard. He did not take it well. He convinced me that he was a good driver, that he could see if he covered this eye and turned right only so he didn't go against traffic. Like he had his reasons, but, uh, but it was time for us to stop that. And that was hard on our relationship and it took a little while to work through that. But when my grandmother died, we invited him to live with us. And he told me that it would be okay because he knew that Jerry Lynn and I would be honest about our relationship. If there's things that he was doing that we didn't want him to do or things that we were doing that was bothering him, that we could have that relationship. And he had learned that we would be honest in that. And so it brought true peace, uh, a better relationship, a deeper relationship. And that's, that's what I think God is after in, in our conflict that we have with other people. Peace is bringing truth to a relationship, but it's done in love. The Gospel of John, not just the Gospel of John, but uniquely, I think, the Gospel of John has these unique stories of Jesus. And I think, uh, if you will, grant me just, I'm going to run through these, just different ways that Jesus kind of spoke truth. Sometimes it was to bring about correction with injustice. Sometimes it was to clarify. Sometimes it was to share his expectations. And it might look a little bit different when you think about peace but what Jesus was doing was trying to correct and bring about something that was better for individuals. So the first one is, the example is the first miracle. In John chapter two, Jesus is with his mother and they're at a wedding and they run out of wine. And his mother comes to him and just tells them the obvious, right? They're out of wine. And any mother who says something like that, you can tell Jesus is thinking, and you want me to do what? And he, she does. She wants him to do something because she knows who he is. The son of God. He can do something about this. But his statement to her is interesting. It's a clarifying statement. It shares his expectations, his feelings. And it doesn't sound wonderful, but it brings about something. He says, woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. He clarifies for her that this isn't his time. This isn't what he had planned. But he does it anyway. He enters in he, and he turns the water into wine. Great wedding. You know, they celebrate together. And we see it, at least in scripture, as the very first miracle. Because his mother asked. But you see that tension, that conflict that's going on. And all Jesus does is he clarifies where he's at. Hey, this is where I'm at. Mom, I know what you want me to do. But here's where I'm at. Why are you involving me? I feel uncomfortable with this. It's not my time. I think it's a great example of that clarification and sharing your feelings. Uh, the next, in chapter two, the next scene is Jesus going into the temple and he sees the vulnerable, the poor being abused because they're cheating them. 
There's individuals who are selling sacrifices in the temple courts and the poor are having to spend more money because they don't have these animals themselves. So they have to purchase the animals to sacrifice to worship and people are abusing the system and Jesus gets mad because of the injustice. And so he brings truth by turning over the tables and he says to the people there, get out of here, stop turning my father's house into a market. And you go, well, that doesn't look too peaceful, Jesus coming in and turning over tables and telling people to get out. But when you think about the poor and the vulnerable and the people who are being abused, I man, I bet it felt peaceful for them to finally have someone who had a voice because they felt like they didn't. And how many times, people, do we let injustice go, whether it be in the workplace, at school, in our neighborhood, whether it be racial or religious, that we let things go, we don't want to enter into the conflict, and we see people continuously getting hurt, when sometimes we need a little righteous anger to step in, to resolve the circumstances, to enter into the conflict in order that other people might have a voice, that they might be at peace. That's what Jesus did. In uh, John chapter four, he's talking to the Samaritan woman and he confronts her with the truth. He says, hey, I want you to go get your husband and I'll give you living water. I'll talk to both of you. And she says, man, I don't have a husband. He says, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Jesus confronts her and says, I know this about you. He confronts the sin that's been going on in her life. But because of that, they enter into a deeper conversation and Jesus, speaking the truth in love, offers forgiveness and grace and living water and eternal life. And an entire village comes out to see this man she, that she goes, you gotta come see this guy. An entire village is converted to followers of Jesus because of how he approached the subject. Church, sometimes we need to enter in. We need to come to a friend who is a follower of Jesus and going, I, I see this in you. I'm not sure that that's what God wants. What do we do about that? How can I help you through that? It's not comfortable. We don't want to enter into that conflict. But man, what type of peace does that bring to their life, to yours, and to a deeper and greater relationship that you have? There's a man that Jesus comes to uh, in John uh, where he finds the man, I think it's John 5, finds the man at a well waiting to be healed. He's been an invalid for 38 years and he's crying out for help. But Jesus asks a clarifying question. He enters in and he asks the man a clarifying question. And it's this, do you want to be made well? Now here is the God of the universe who knows all things, right? Who asks a clarifying question. What is it that you really want? And by communicating that, the man is able to think through and go, yeah, I really do want to be healed. Jesus heals him, take your mat and walk. But Jesus didn't assume that he could help somebody out by just walking up and going, hey, you're healed, you're healed, you're healed. He walks up and he clarifies, what is it that you really want? Do you want this? And then he heals him. 
And how many times in our relationships do we assume that somebody wants something or that they need something and we either do it for him or we think that they should do it for themselves? And God says, oh man, you should ask some clarifying questions. Is this what they really want? Do they want your help? What type of help do they want? We experience this all the time in the mission field. We've been to schools that we would say, oh, they don't have any desks, chalkboards, or books. That's what, the, we, that's what they need. That, that's a story uh, of our team that was in Ethiopia a couple of years ago. But we asked the question, what, what do you need? You know what they told us? A fence. A fence? For education? Yeah, because the animals come onto the school property. The kids can't go outside. They can't sit on the ground because of all the, the mess. And there's too many animals around. We could study more if we were outside. If we had more room, we could educate them better. We need a fence. We wouldn't know that if we didn't ask. In our relationships, oftentimes there's conflict because we're assuming somebody, somebody wants something. They need something, and it's what we think they need. But by asking the question, we bring true peace. And then Jesus with his disciples, he, he clarifies his expectations. On the night of his arrest, he tells them that a time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered each to your own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone for my father is with me. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Jesus says, you're gonna leave me. I know this. You're gonna deny me. I know this. How harsh that must have felt for his disciples. But Jesus tells him, this is what I see. This is my expectations. You're gonna leave, but it's okay. It's all right. I expect that. But I'm telling you this right now so that you will have peace. When you get to the other side and you realize that you've been scattered and that you denied me, I want you to know there's room for you to come back. And they do. And God forgives them. The last illustration is of Peter and John. Peter is walking with Jesus and Jesus is restoring him after he left him alone. Jesus is restoring him in John 21. And he tells Peter there's coming a day when they're gonna lead you away and take you where you do not wanna go. Bottom line is, Peter, one day you will give your life for me and you're gonna suffer. And Peter turns around, he sees John behind him and I'm sure Peter's thinking, well, thanks for clarifying that for me, but what about him? And Jesus says, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. There's clarity in expectations. Peter, this is about you. It's not about John. I'll deal with John separately. All of these different examples are ways that Jesus entered into that tension of relationships and conflict, but he entered in in order to bring something deeper, something greater, which was his peace to resolve the situation. And I think he gives us the tools to do that. Peace is bringing truth to a relationship in love. And there are some examples that Jesus had that we use today, and I just want to give you three of them, things that you can practice. Because as I'm talking, I imagine that there are relationships and things that are going through your mind of, yep, there's that person at work. Yep, my spouse and I need to talk about yeah, that. My kids are going through this. Uh, I've got this tension over here. 
I believe God is calling me to take the next step into one of those areas to bring about true peace, but how do I do that? Here's some ways. Assertive talking and active listening. And it it's, sounds simple, it does hard. <laughs> it, assertive talking means sharing your feelings. I feel hurt. I feel like this is something that I need. For example, the, t- the teenager, you know, the girl that got left alone for the weekend, going to school on Monday, being able to sit down with her friend and go, I just want you to know I said okay, but I really felt hurt. I felt like I came in second. I really like our friendship and I wish that didn't happen and I don't want it to happen again. It's just I statements, sharing your feelings. Assertive uh, or active listening is simply repeating what you just heard. So in conflict resolution, we start with this idea with, I often do with different couples in premarital counseling. I, I teach them this or try to teach them this so that one person says something, the other person responds back. What I'm hearing you say is you were hurt this weekend. What I'm hearing you say is you want it to be different next time. What I'm hearing you say is you wish we hung out more. Um, just responding back and forth, dealing with one topic, one issue. It's a, it's a simple thing to do. Sometimes it can be really corny. I will just tell you, if you are in a relationship where it is hard to talk with one another, this is a great way to do something fun, silly, where you just speak and the other person says what you just said. And you just keep the conversation going back and forth. I will guarantee you after a few minutes, you will be joking around and laughing because communicating can be really simple, but you have to feel understood. The other thing that helps with this is stop mind reading, right? Stop mind reading, thinking you know what the other person is thinking or feeling. And we all do it, but I've had parents who work, you know, with kids who are like, oh, I know what they, I know what he's thinking. I know, you know, I was a teenager once too. And you, you try to read what, what's on their mind without actually asking the question, clarifying like Jesus did. What's actually going on? What are you thinking? If it's a teenager, they're probably not at all. (laughs) Sometimes it's the teenagers who want to know as parents, why are you making this decision? What brought you to this point? This doesn't make sense to me. It's clarifying those things instead of trying to read their minds. I've, I've seen it in couples go back and forth where one will be talking about the children and the next thing you know, as I'm mediating, you know, the, the person... One of the spouses goes, yeah, well, you don't do dishes. Where, where, did, where did that come from? We're not even talking about dishes. Well, I know what they're thinking. They're still mad at me from two weeks ago when I didn't do the dishes. What? Where is this happening? Your mind reading. You do that enough times in a relationship, it starts to, you can't even talk because every time someone says something, you're thinking something else. I've seen it in the church. I've had people in a church lobby before, a person come to me, true story, not here, tell me that uh, they were like, can you believe it? So-and-so said hi to me this morning. I'm like, wow, that must have been rough. <laughs> well, I know why they said hi. They think they're better than I am. I'm like, man, you read all of that in hi. You're like amazing. <laughs> You're mind reading. Stop mind reading. 
Start communicating, clarifying expectations, sharing your feelings. It brings peace. Clarify expectations. It, again, it's really simple. It does hard. Sometimes we think that our kids should know what we're thinking, what we're feeling. They know I told them five years ago, this is what I wanted, right? And we expect that they're gonna continue to, to do those things. We, we just need to clarify, here's what I want you to do. Remember when your kids, when they, I had boys, you, you go in the shower, you had to tell them every time, just clarify expectations. Turn on water, use soap, wash the soap off, shut off the shower, dry off, get changed, right? But it, it sounds simple. They just need clear expectations. And we do too. When my wife and I first got married, uh, there was a basket of laundry in the hallway. And for days, I walked past that basket of laundry because my wife is smart. She knows what she's doing. I figured she had a plan for that. There was a reason that was there. And there was. She wanted me to see it and do something about it. But I'm an idiot. I need to be told. So finally, she told me, yes, you do the laundry. Okay, I can do that. I just need to be trained. I need to be, I need to be told what to do. It's clarifying expectations. We've been married almost 30 years now. I asked her permission to even share that story. Why? Clarifying expectations. <laughs> Guys, I'm trained. Not all the time. When we learn to do these things and enter into even very difficult circumstances and situations, we enter into conflict, but we do so in love to bring about God's peace. And the beautiful thing is, is that that's what God is after. So his spirit, his power to change things goes with us. As we spend time in prayer for those difficult conversations, when we go into those, God goes with us. We don't just, don't just leave here today, call the person that you're fighting with and go, we need to talk. You know, that's not what I'm saying. Ask God for the right timing, the right place that you can sit down and begin to share what's going on with you, how you are feeling, what's going on in your life. These are some simple tools, but ultimately it's really about us doing our part to step into conflict not pacify it, not avoid it, but step into conflict in order to bring about true peace in our relationships. And it's not somebody else's responsibility, it's ours. It may not always go well, but we can do our part. And the scriptures tell us in Romans, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. As far as it depends on you, some of you have been avoiding. Some of you have been pacifying. What God is after is that his people, his church, his children would be peacemakers, which means stepping in and dealing with this stuff. And we can do that, but it starts right here. It starts with you and I. In a few moments, we're gonna take communion together. And in all honesty, the scriptures tell us that that's the greatest conflict that we've had. Our sin separates us from God. We are enemies, the scripture says. Enemies of God, Ephesians. But even because our sin has made us enemies of God, 
God in his great love sent his son who entered into that conflict and who paid the ultimate price to bring about reconciliation and peace between us and God. Jesus is the ultimate peacemaker, but he gave himself to that. Church, sometimes it's gonna be rough if we enter into this idea of peacemaking, but it's what God has called us to. It's the example that he has set. And if we will do it in his power and in his strength, ah, oh, it makes an eternal difference in the lives of others in your life. It makes your relationships that much more greater, deeper. And you and I, in our community, in our family, we become children of God because we're peacemakers. We look more like our heavenly father when we do that. Colossians 1.20 says, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus entered in so that you and I would have peace. I don't know where God is calling you to enter in to conflict, but it's all around us. Church, what is that one thing that the Holy Spirit's prompting you today? Whatever it is, as you come forward this morning and you take communion, my prayer is that you would simply, as you take communion, that you would just say yes to God. He said yes to giving himself for you to say, yes, God, I will enter in. I will take the next step. I will do the next thing that you're calling me to to bring about peace in the midst of my relationships and the conflicts that I'm having and allow God and his strength, his power to bring about change in your life and in the lives of our community. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we do give you thanks for all that you have done for us that Jesus' life, death, resurrection, Lord, his teachings, they all point us to entering into sometimes very difficult things in our relationships, but ultimately that we might experience true peace, true grace, true forgiveness, true love. God, that's what we're after, and we want to be more like you. So I pray that this next week you would nudge us, you would prompt us to say those things, to express how we're feeling to not pacify or avoid, but to enter into conflict that we might see your hand at work and bringing peace to our world. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.